Welcome to Commercial Property Pioneers. Brought to you by Riala. Hi all, thank you for joining the latest Riala Commercial Property Pioneers discussion podcast available on all good streaming services. Today I have Benjamin Wilmore with me, MD of well, Google, the estate agency, and more recently of USERV, the service offices group, which is you know, busily opening offices, according to the website, in Weybridge, Reading, Woking, and I see coming soon, UAE. So it all sounds um, very interesting to, to catch up on, on what's being done there. So Benjamin, just coming to you first off, if you could just give us a sense of your journey, how you've got to this place and you know what, what took you from Udall to MD of Udall to you know leading you sir. Well, firstly, thank you for having me. So really it, 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 it it's one hell of a journey. I'd always started glad out. To hear it. <laughs> I'd started out in the property industry as like most of us, you know, working sort of down the lower end of the food chain, you know, call it within a branch environment and then progressing through ranks within certain companies. But one thing that always struck me as, as rather unusual was about how individuals in those branches and, and staffing, how they were treated, how they went about things, how certain people had passion, others didn't. And a lot of companies weren't really, I felt, in touch with that. So that's actually part of the reason why you'd all come about. As an estate agency business, I wanted to, as we all do, you know, we get to a point where we think we want to try having a go at this for ourselves. We want to do something different. But rather than me trying to, you know, bring something and change the marketplace or create the next trend uh, within estate agency, I actually wanted to bring something about that was focused on two key points, which is the staff that work within that business and the clients that they transact with. So that's really where Udall was bred from, that Everything what's, was about. What's the name Udall, by the way? Just while we, before we get into it, that, as well, this was a, a back in 2013. I had mm. an idea for an online property management company, and this idea gave me the name of Udall. And back in 2013, talking about you know online and property management, it just really wasn't the thing. And then obviously, kudos to to Purple Brick some years later coming out with their version. But Udall was just something that. It was the name that came to me because when I Googled about it, it didn't exist. Now, the biggest yeah. thing at the moment when we look at online is, and everything again, Udall, everything exists. And a lot of estate agents were connections to people's names or, you know, words that were so heavily researched on Google. So when I was trying to come up with different variations and different names, Udall kind of really popped in. I was like, well, actually, it's... It, it, it rolls off the tongue fairly easy and it's kind of, it makes people think, well, I wonder what that is. And then when I was researching, there was nothing on Google called Udall at all. It did not exist as a word. So therefore, that gave me the the viewpoint of, well, if everything now is online, I need this brand and this this name to promote online and everything about it is owned by the business. So yeah. it's not like, you know, if you Google particular, let's say, Maplin and Web or something or you know, names like that, it will come up with variations of Maplin, variations of companies with the name Web and so forth. So for me, it was just an unusual name. And like now, and many people do, they always ask the question, where does that name come from? So it creates <laughs> a, good, a good starting conversation. Yeah, absolutely. 
So, and so obviously you mentioned sort of two elements that you were really keen to focus on with the launch of the, the company. Yes, it was about the people within it. So, you know, with teams and the staff that we bring on, it's about actually providing what, you know, the true passion of people need within our industry and about the support and the nurture and the training, which is something that you'd always really focusing on. We love that, you know, from my experiences over sort of 10, 15 years in, in the property side of things, is taking people from different backgrounds and watching them become into your superstars, sort of salespeople or lessons people. So Udall focused a lot within its teams and kind of honing their skills and actually educated them that it's not about the targets, it's not about the KPIs, it's not just about the revenue, it's about the experience that we can deliver to what's most important, which is our customers and our clients. Mm. And, you know, Udall's been in operation now for three years. It's a top-tier market leader in the areas that it dominates. You know, when we look at transactional volumes, we've dealt with on a letting side of anything of your every day, up to properties valued at £50,000 per month. We've got celebrities, high net worth, racing car drivers, football players, a whole array of different tenants that a brand has attracted purely because of the team that operate within it and the yeah. service that it delivers. So, uh, yeah, it's been a very good success so far. Okay. And then at some stage, you obviously, and I think you mentioned sort of maybe three years ago, this was the germination of this, <laughs> started looking at the, the, the user, so the, the, the service office spin-off of Udall. I know, I just wonder if we could take you back to then, what got you to get into commercial real estate? So my, the, the estate agency business, we were based in serviced offices. So one thing with you, I didn't want it in the high street. So I took the view that I had offices up in the city and we had beautiful, beautiful designed serviced offices. And then over in Surrey, we had kind of, the Surrey take of the serviced office and two were very, very different. And the yeah. trouble I found is in the outer London areas of where our offices were, the serviced offices, the staff in those buildings were absolutely impeccable. They were lovely, really personable and had a lot of passion. But the quality of the premises really wasn't there. Whereas when with our city offices, the quality of the premises were there. But then the people within those tend to have a bit of a degree of arrogance about them is what I found as my tenant experience mm. of a serviced office. And coincidentally, I, every day I used to drive past this brand new beautiful office building in Weybridge that sat empty for years. And I thought that's such a waste of a building. And then it kind of dawned on me. I was like, well, hang on. There's a disparity between these two markets. There's a building sitting empty. So I approached the owners of this building and it took me a good six months worth of negotiations is this the Dakota, the one you've the taken there? Yep. Yeah. So with the, the, you know, I kept driving past this building, uh, actually, the Dakota building. So I got in touch with the owners of this building and the difficulty was they had designed the building to be a sole occupancy, not a multiple. So mm. you had nearly, you know, circa 40,000 square foot of office space that nobody at the time, and this is, you know, we're still talking kind of the prominent time of Brexit with all the fears in the press with everyone and companies leaving. So nobody's really looking at that sort of size. So my initial plan was, well, if I could move my state agency business in there as a head office form and have some smaller offices that I can rent out, this would then reduce the cost towards the main bit, you know, towards the estate agency business. Yeah. And as I started going down that route, I thought, well, 
let me really be a bit bold and brash now. There's actually a business and a brand being built here while I was going through that process. And what was going to be a small office suite then turned out to cater for 187 people with now 19 to 25 different companies that can occupy this space. And it's still the Udall office as well. Yes, yeah, so it, it's it's the USERV base, but obviously Udall then moved into it as yeah. a sole location. So we came out of the London markets Unfortunately, so obviously then obviously with COVID that happened into the city. And then basically, yeah, Udall now has like a head office base here and its sole location because mm. it sits in such a great area, in a, you know, and its location of where it's situated is absolutely perfect for the business. Yes. And what is that sort of dynamic of, you know, buildings that were developed as single occupancy buildings has and the change towards, well, accepting actually, in, in some ways, it's better for, for us all around if it becomes multi-let. And also, if a, the, the floor, the opening floor on the bottom is a flexible office provider who can start animating it, it has become a real trend. So you kind of got on the got onto it as it was happening, I guess. Got onto it at the right time. And I feel that the angle that we brought to it is something that is so needed in the marketplace. And I'm shocked that a lot of I, I've seen a lot of companies, and again, this is as a tenant experience, and not talking with my competing head on. But as a tenant mm. experience, a lot of people were they just didn't look at what was the most important value to them, which was their tenants. And from a business point of view, it's very rare that companies will want to move their premises, and a lot of the time they're forced to do it if service is bad or certain things are happening in the building. So when USERV come about, its sole thing was that each building we do, I thought, I'm going to make them unique. I'm going to mm. keep them unbranded. So we don't promote our brand as a business, which is a very bizarre concept. What we do is we promote our tenants' brands within our buildings. So the money that we don't spend on promoting USERV, we help the tenants because that's what's important to us. And by doing that and creating these bespoke design, high-end five-star fit-outs where the technology is, you know, we look at where technology is today and then we advance on that to make sure we are ahead of any curve. That's the tech that we put into our buildings. So the minute we've had tenants walk in here that are looking to start up or relocate or people from competing buildings, the wow moment from the minute they walk in the door is there. They want to be part of the culture. They want to be operating in our building. So it's grown a hell of a, you know, a fantastic success in doing that. Hmm. So the, the, so you kind of, once you managed to move into the Dakota, you, uh, you, you mentioned it's kind of pretty quick, you know, well, you managed to fill that space fairly quickly. And then you thought to yourself, I guess, and I mean, I'm putting myself in your shoes here, but um, thought, well, let, let's let's do this elsewhere, then, I guess, in, uh, particularly in the southeast of us. Yes, it did. So from the point of us opening in, I think it was October 2019, uh, February of the following year, we were 90% full. And what I found really bizarre was I planned for my building to be 80% full within the first year as my worst case planning. And then I realized we had a waiting list. Mm. And then the level of interest and the word of mouth was just... As much as we could all love that, it got to a stage of now it's getting out of control. Now this is actually damaging, you know, this new brand because people are wanting it and we can't deal with that demand. So 
I had an opportunity where I could have looked to increase the office space within my existing building at Dakota, but then took on a, an even bigger opportunity next door to Dakota at a business park called The Heights. Yeah. Um, and the great thing about The Heights business park is we were limited to the amount of growth we could do within the Dakota building because once that building's full, that's it. And we realized very quickly that we needed something where we could continue to keep this amount of growth. And in doing so, we are about to launch our latest offering in Weybridge, as I say, at the Heights. And that's, you know, we've got near circa sort of 26,000 square foot there, which is after yeah. phase one. Phase two, we start in quarter two of next year, will be another 26,000 square foot. And this is where I've taken it now from what Dakota is being the five-star premium now to that next level with what we've called number five at the Heights. And number five gives, you know, a bar in there for tenants to use. There's uh, well, two bars. We've got an internal and then a cocktail and gym bar in a private courtyard. There's a, a, a health and holistic well-being-led gym, which is available to all of our tenants. Then we've got some quirky things that there's sleep pods. You know, we've done some research and obviously a, a fair amount of research is a proven fact that if you have a rest, you know, a 20-minute nap throughout the course of the day, it makes you more alert. So we've bought in a lot of different things like the sleep pods. We've got obviously a massage room. And then even down to if someone wants to get their hair cut, the barber will cut their hair for them and set days a week in a designated room. Our concierge team are there to take care of our tenants. Yeah. As like a as a PA to all of our tenants, whether they're a big or a, a small company, it makes no difference. But if it's the case of, you know, someone's like, oh, I need my dry cleaning collected or I want to get some flowers. I need to book a flight. We've got someone coming in for a meeting. Can you arrange everything? Concierge, take care of everything. And is that, I mean, do you do that on a basis of obviously these, if you've got one building next door to another, you know, the others are not that far away, I guess, in in Reading and Woking that are coming up, yep. I, I see. Um, is that done across the kind of platform where you can you know, kind of get the same service at each building? Is, is it sort of uh, standardized or, or are they unique to each each building? So the only thing that's unique to each building is its design and look. That's the one thing about our brand. I will say that you can walk into a lot of the competitors and straight away you recognize them without seeing their brand. With us, we will be recognized because each building will be so unique that they'll know it's part of the use of um, group of buildings. But with the service side of things, when I mentioned about concierge, that's available to any and every tenant within the company. Yeah. So if they're based in Reading or you know in Woking or even, believe it or not, in the UAE, we've got mm. the simplicity of just one phone number, one email address for a concierge team that take care of absolutely anything. When we've been asked by some of our current tenants, what exactly does that cover? And it's like, well, at the moment, we haven't had any requests that we've not dealt with or refused. So, and we've had some, you know, We've got one coming up at the moment, actually, uh, as a surprise, uh, sorry, a surprise birthday party. Uh, Wait, so let's not mention the name on this. No, no, no. We keep that. That's why I just hesitated then, because I thought, well, I don't <laughs> want to slip of the tongue to say the name. Uh, a surprise birthday party for an MD. And Concierge have literally taken care of absolutely everything that you could think for holding a, you know, this surprise party. Um, and it's been a great relief to then the secretary and the PA within that company to think, great, I can crack on with my day-to-day -day work and there's someone else there to support me. Again, that's what concierge will do. So and when you're looking at the choosing these buildings, what's the common ground that makes you think that's got the, the right elements for, for you, sir? 
There's a few things that make it up so our standard when we look at the location, when we look at what's available and what businesses are in the area. I think sometimes what people probably think is the craziest thing, it's actually me and the gut feeling I have within that building and how I feel about it. And that's not to make it sound like it's a, a Mimi scenario, as I would call it. But when I saw Dakota, I would see what everyone else sees, which is a beautiful looking building in a great location. And then when we were designing the fit out, again, making sure that same feeling with number five over at the Heights, it's just such a beautiful location. The tranquility of it is amazing. And what is available in the area is great too. And, uh, you know, a great example of this is our Reading building. Uh, uh, just currently to start fitting out over in Abbey Gardens. There's two opposing buildings literally next door to each other. And both were a fantastic opportunity. But the one thing about the Abbey Gardens building is when you walked in, everyone from our designers to, you know, some of our, our builders that we got involved, actually say it's the feeling when you walk in. So that's been a real guiding factor of, it's, you know, whether it's a gut feeling or an emotional connection, really important because that's what we know we want others to feel when they walk into our buildings yes okay yeah okay so and so you'll you'll basically look around at the, all of the options and think well that that's um that's the standout one you know but it's your gut yeah. that's telling you rather than um than, than other factors ultimately it is it is my gut and it, it it you know i know i know some may think well that's an unusual way of taking things but the business has been derived from ideas that I've had and, and things that I want to do for tenants and to the industry. So a lot of that is passion and therefore your passion's connected to your gut feelings. So, you know, there's some buildings that I've walked into and I've just thought this would be great for a serviced operator. But actually, it's not what we're looking for in the way our business works. And it doesn't give me that, wow, this is the building that this brand needs to be in. So... But so before I sort of get on to ask you about how it's been building this business during you know, what's been a pretty unusual time to do it, obviously you've just, well, as I said, noticed on the website, you know, coming soon UAE. What are your aspirations? I mean, it's, uh, typically it's focused on yeah southeast locations, but obviously you, it looks like you're um, expanding globally now. Um, what, what, what's your sort of ambitions for the business in terms of where it can get to and where it will be located? So what I'm doing at the moment is uh, uh, previously, backtrack, previously when the brand started coming out and the interest went through the roof, there were so many opportunities coming to us left, right and centre from different uh, funds or different landlords that, oh, we've got this building, let's work with you on this and let's look at this. And all of a sudden it was kind of that pillar to post moment and a successful business can look great but fail fairly quickly when it spreads itself too far. And yeah. especially a business like ours where it is based around the service level. So now what we've decided to do and what, what I'm looking at doing at the moment is I've got focus areas that I'm concentrating on. As a company, we've kind of taken this viewpoint at this stage, we don't want to encroach into the London market. We want to deal with everything outside of the London market and spread our wings in a path that we can manage that rather than having, you know, We've got a location that we're just uh, soon to be coming over in Brighton. So that's as far coastal as we would look to go. But it still follows the same sort of path if we look at where Weybridge is, where Reading is, down towards Brighton. Potentially got one coming up in Windsor. But then the UAE, for example, I was actually out in, in Dubai not too long ago. We've already had commercial premises over there. And one of the things with the UAE, we looked at 
taking our brand over there to create what we do here over there. It's a very, very different market. So what we've managed to achieve is we've actually got two buildings in the UAE, 100% let, and we've done them actually on a long-term tenancy rather than the flexible route that we offer in the UK. So our aspirations of taking this more on an international basis is limited to the point of we're quite comfortable with what we have in the UAE. We're looking at a few other countries where we feel that this could work. But our prim- primary focus is, is, you know, we've got kind of over the next two to three years, I want to introduce sort of another eight to 10 buildings in that time. Um, and I've got a focus route that I'm heading down on that. And I mean, just to, I mean, just to quickly ask how, I mean, how have you kind of made this happen in investment-wise? Do you have specific backers or has it come out of the success of the UDL business itself? Obviously, you, you use the sort of UDL business as an anchor on the first building, but I'd be interested to hear how you manage that as well. So sometimes I, I wonder myself, actually. <laughs> what it's been at the moment is there's myself and my business partner. We've privately sourced and used our own funds in which to grow our first building at Dakota. And we didn't take any borrowings to do that. With our other buildings, we've got some that we deal with directly ourselves and a couple where we actually have bought in an investor. And what we've been able to do is actually say to investors is rather than investing in the group as a whole, you can actually invest in just one location. Mm. Uh, so incidentally, we have an investor on our number five project where he has, you know, seen investment within that building solely and an interest and a focus on that. So we've been, you know, we're, we're fortunate in the position that we're in. You know, we are, a, dare I say, a cash-rich company. So that that's kind of where we're going on that route. Our plan at the moment, as we are taking on more buildings, we may open it up to more potential investment. We tend to look at leasing a lot of these premises rather than the typical with some of the service operators is doing a management contract. Yeah. Um, for us, we like the fact that, you know, we build relationships with these landlords and it's, it's ours. It's, you know, it, we've got it for 10, 15, 20 years, whatever. So, yeah, financing-wise, it, it's sitting comfortable with us and we're fortunate enough that because of our popularity, we don't struggle a huge amount with the void periods. So, therefore, it allows our cash that we're injecting into the business to actually come back fairly quickly within a few years. And, and just quick, quickly as well, in terms of the kind of packages you offer your, you know, customers, tenants, is it is it the kind of per workstation serviced office contract where you know you, you pay for all of the services as well, or, or or do you do other do other things? So we, I like to keep it simple, straightforward as possible. I've learned being a tenant that I signed up to one particular brand. And then when I got my first bill, it was nearly double what I was signing for. And then my mistake here, and you know, we all do these things when we're kind of rushed and pushing, making our decisions that when I opened this this office for the estate agency in London, the terms had so many extras in them. And I was like, wow, actually, this is a lot more expensive than what we could anticipate. Um, so what I, I, I made a key point of is just charging a simple, straightforward desk rate. There's no extras. There's nothing else that, you know, hidden it's just a fit flat rate per desk for the office and we give a fairly generous allowance on the square footage per desk within the office but the biggest thing with us is our communal areas and collaboration spaces and the community base of the building is so vast mm. that actually the desk rate easily compensates and when i launched dakota i said to every two you know 
nearly every tenant here that's moving in if within the first six months of your tenancy, actually we're doing this on our number five building, if within the first six months of your tenancy, your business productivity is, is not improved, your retention's not improved, overall service and staffing has not improved, we'll let you out of the contract. That means that we've failed in our job to provide the best working environments for our tenants and their employees. And actually by offering that one in Dakota at first and now at number five, we sign people in for you know their 18-month or two-year agreements, whatever they wish to. But they've got a six-month break clause from the service provider saying, if we don't deliver, you can leave with no penalty. Mm. I don't know anyone that does that in the service industry because what that gives from us to our tenants is the comfort that we go in above and beyond to secure how they feel within our buildings when they're in it. Okay. Now, obviously, we it's been a, you know, you, you mentioned sort of 2019 was when Dakota got coming within a, you know, within a year or six months, suddenly there's a, a major pandemic, which has, you know, clearly hit office occupiers doing anything really, one occupying the buildings, but two, um, two making decisions on what they're doing. And how, how did you deal with that as an entrepreneur during the, during that period um, and well across your wider business as well but and what did it do to the service office market was it I mean in some ways uh, you know it's often perceived that they sort of drove demand for more flexible space but yeah certainly we are good to ask you about that so it was one of the most bizarre circumstances I don't think there is anybody that could have planned uh, apart from those that say they're in the know about what COVID would have done to our country, our business, and and globally, you know, it's when it first hit. I thought I am in the worst position because it's hit the property industry, shut it mm-hmm. down almost completely. It hit kind of the building and developing and the house sales side of things. That was another one of my businesses. Then it's now everyone's working from home; they don't need offices, and that was my next newest business. I just thought, my God, like. Everything I've been building is now runs the risk of, of going. Mm-hmm. I've always dealt with everything that I, I have and that I've built in a disaster recovery and disaster planning. So all of my businesses is built on the worst case scenario because if you plan for that, then obviously anything above that is an absolute bonus and benefit. When COVID hit, couldn't have planned for that at all. And it was over the period of three weeks that I kind of really thought, right, how can I adapt to what COVID is doing and how can we as a company and our teams get ahead of that curve. So the first thing we done was actually to protect from the state agency business all of our staff by letting them know no matter what happens, their jobs with us are secure, safe, they can be paid for the next year if the business was closed. We wanted to secure their comfort. The serviced office company, we actually said to our tenants, look, this is hitting everybody. So for the next three months, we'll give you 50% off your rent and you just repay that back to us in 12 months' time with no interest. In doing that, we started then to adapt as a business now. We've, we, we started, when you look after those that, you know, that are most important to you, so your teams and your customers, that buys in loyalty. Once we had achieved that, we realized that what we need to do now um, is kind of look how on the state agency side to make it more beneficial on the COVID side of things with all the changes that had to happen. For the serviced office side, it was just about keeping in touch and trying to support the businesses. You know, I know of many other friends of mine in serviced offices that never heard from their landlords at all Mm. during the period. They almost went silent. 
we were trying to be like, you know, how are things? Do you need something from us? Like concierge reaching out to the companies as well and sort of saying, what can we do to help benefit you? Keeping everyone up to date on what's changing, what's going on in the offices. And we were... We were fortunate as a business, you know, we did lose a couple of companies because obviously recruitment was hit fairly hard. So we lost a couple of those style of businesses. But then everyone, including myself, we all experienced the same thing together. So because we got such a good community feel within our buildings, it was everyone was on that same journey. No one felt different from the other. Fast forward to where we are now, obviously in the hope of coming out of lockdowns with things changing, We've made a lot of adaptations, a lot of changes to the buildings in order to better protect everybody as well. Yeah, obviously it's been a hugely tough time. I mean, I guess the question to ask as well is, has it fundamentally changed, do you think, now we're beginning to come out of lockdown, we hope, easing from it? Has it fundamentally changed the service office market? And I mean, I guess you'll feel that your workplace will react and respond. It has changed it, most definitely. And I think those that feel that it hasn't would certainly be naive to it because what it's changed is, and it's changed all of us, you know, even myself, it's changed our perception. And when we think about offices, it's changed it from a cleanliness point of view. It's changed it from a health and well-being. It's changed it from, do I need to be the 15-hour day workaholic in the office, first in, last out, and run myself into the ground because there's a lot of us that still work that way. And it's changed how our staff think and how our teams think. So I think the one thing it has done for the service office, and you know, from our side, it's made me go, right, we all have this thing about touching and distance and, and you know, it, it being drummed into us and it is a new way of life now about, you know, handshaking. We talk about it becoming a thing of the past and actually it almost now is. Even when I think the the uh, you know the relax comes uh, in, in in the not too distant future, I don't think there will be people that will ever handshake again. So, what we've done as a business is actually look at those side of things. Look at what is a multi-touch point. You know, in our buildings, we've actually removed all door handles. It's a really bizarre concept. You can walk in from the main door to your office and you haven't touched a single thing. We've introduced proximity sensors. So people can uh, use wearable technology, whether it's a bracelet or an ID card or your phone, and that will access certain parts of the building and their office without them physically touching anything. We've introduced cleaner air technologies to kill bacteria, microbiological services that when you touch, it won't transfer the bacteria from your hand to the surface. So we've gone an extra step in terms of the cleaning side of things and, like I mentioned, microbiological on that side. All the way through now is we were always ahead of the curve with the tech, but now we've made the tech more user-friendly. You know, mm. We've just introduced our latest phone system. And actually now, no one needs to have a physical phone on their desk. Again, it's a multi-touch point. Our new phone system eradicates that completely. And it keeps it within their PC or their mobile. And that's something that before as a business, we've just done the usual. There's your phone on a desk and there's the number for it. You know, So we've adapted quite well. Our new buildings going forward follow that same adaptation. You know, we will always keep sanitizer or sanitizer stations as we have in every single building long after COVID. Because I think now, as I say, that cleanliness has become a way, a, a different way of how we are as people. So, yeah. Have, um, and have you noticed, you know, as the um, people have got more optimistic about the vaccination, vaccination program and everything else and things are easing, has demand picked up? Uh, are you getting that sense now that you're getting more inquiries, more people 
coming back, new new businesses. So if I give you an idea about how much it's changed, uh, mm. we are due to uh, complete on our, our, our build work literally by the 21st of this month. We plan to do a soft launch in June and then a more formal in July. We're mm. now 62% pre-occupied of mm. that 26,000 square foot. And it's still, there's more inquiries coming through. What we also have is where we've got another floor that we're looking for uh, in doing in the early part of next year, we already have actually a tenant that is likely that, that could well take the majority of that floor from us as a service yeah. offering. Because yeah. a lot of companies, you know, what they saw is, and I think it's, you know, coming back to the question earlier, with the larger size businesses, they were having huge square foot templates of 30,000 square foot. Now with what COVID has done, they're only using half of that, but they're tied into a long-term lease. So we're seeing a lot of big corporates now coming out that are looking at the serviced office for the simplicity uh, and the comfort. So in summary, the inquiries are back to the pre-pandemic levels. And if, you know, dare I say, is actually more than what they were prior to, you know, COVID and the lockdowns coming in. It's certainly proven that there's a worth of serviced offices and high-end, good quality well, that is good news. Yeah. Yes. Very positive. And oh, I mean, another question here, what, what advice would you give someone who is considering setting their own business up in commercial real estate? Now you're, now you're a few years into it. For me, I've made many mistakes and I still will continue to make those mistakes. And I think what I have, I, I would say to anyone is there's always a fear factor that will come into when you want to do something. So setting up your own business you're right to kind of have those fears. A lot of people can be blinded by them and a lot of people can ignore them. But I think I would, my advice to anyone is always have your worst case scenario as your starting point. Never plan for your business. You know, It's the true saying that obviously the worst thing a small business can do is think like a small business. When you're starting out, your disaster planning is the most important. So you wouldn't want to think of the grand, grand scale. You know, mm. Think of the more day-to-day -day disaster plan everything and definitely be prepared. When I set my first business up with Udall, I was working seven days a week. Some days I'd finish at one in the morning and I'm back at seven o'clock in the morning. Even mm. now with the businesses, and I've got three businesses in total, with all three of them, I still work some crazy hours during the week. COVID has taught mm. me to enjoy life a bit more. I would say to anyone, be prepared. It has to take over your life and it has to absorb your life in order for it to succeed. So that would be my key okay. advice. Sound advice. Now, we always round things up here with our five quick fire questions on this uh, podcast. So I'm going to try, try them now. First one is the best book you have read about real estate and why? The best book I've read. I would say, for me, despite of reading any books, I'd never give advice to people or suggestions about a book to read because I think write your own book, learn from your own mistakes. So mm. for me, that would be, rather than give a book, I would actually say, yeah, write your own. See what journey takes and then kind of make those mistakes, learn from that and build from it too. And you might have a bestseller on your hands as well at the end. <laughs> Eventually, if I get any of the time I need to, yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's the most overrated advice people giving you about investing in real estate or being in real estate? 
I think most overrated is always going to, everyone will always say everything is about location. When actually in truth, one thing I've proven time and time again, if you provide what people need, it doesn't matter where you are based, whether you're next door mm-hmm. to them or 20 miles down the road or in a field. If you give people what they need, they'll go to it. It's as simple, simple as that. Okay. The best part of working in real estate and why? The people. Definitely the people. One thing I love about real estate is the people that you get to meet because there is such a diverse range of individuals, different experiences, backgrounds. It's just everything about property is not a property, it's the people. That's, you know, and that's the one yeah. thing that I uh, really do love about it. Okay, flip side of this, and don't say people here, is what's the worst part of working in real estate and why? And I'm not so <laughs> um, I think the worst part of it is, you know, it's in some part it can also be the people. But I think I think what's really hard that it's been difficult for everyone is the changes that keep happening. Whether you're in the residential side of things, whether you're in the commercial side of things, you know what we have gone through as property professionals over the last sort of five ten years. Almost you want to say, look, enough is enough. It's just we're hit, we're hounded, changes constantly, government policies. So I think that's one of the things that can be quite in sometimes the worst part and quite the demanding part of it. So yeah. Yeah. I'm still going to emphasize a slight bit on the people too. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, A final question then. If you were not a real estate entrepreneur, what other career path would, would we have seen you choose? It would probably be back what I originally started out in in my youth, which was actually running nightclubs and in the hospitality right. sector, more of sort of nightclubs, bars, restaurants. Again, it's I've got a passion for working with people, meeting people. So if it wasn't the property, yeah, I'd definitely be in a hospitality-led form of... You, wouldn't, you definitely wouldn't be getting in until one in the morning then. Something I was used to from a very young age. <laughs> well... Thank you so much for joining us there. That was really, really great. Thanks for talking to us, Ben, you mean, about your experiences with Udall and USERP. For anyone who wants to listen to the Riala Commercial Property Pioneers podcast, it's uh, yeah, available to listen to on all good streaming services. Thank you so much for that. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks for listening. Check out Riala, the number one commercial property portal in the UK on riala.co.uk.